John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Steve. There was a time in my life when I couldn't think of a better way to spend a day than going down to the local video store and renting a couple of movies on VHS. Okay, sometimes it was more than a couple. Sometimes it was three or four, five or six if it was a two-day rental. This is when I took those first tentative steps to becoming a cinephile. So, of course, included in those rentals were films by Wells, Kubrick, Kurosawa, David Lean, and Alfred Hitchcock. But the fact is, those cinematic masterpieces didn't exactly represent the majority of my rentals. There probably was just as much John Carpenter as there was John Huston. It wasn't that I didn't watch movies with subtitles. It's just that more often than not, they were subtitling Jackie Chan or Jet Li. And while I was beginning to learn about European filmmakers like Ernst Lubitsch, Francois Truffaut, and of course, Austrian director Billy Wilder, the Austrian who appeared most frequently on my small TV was Arnold. Now, I have no idea how many times I rented Conan, Commando, Raw Deal, Running Man, and of course, The Terminator, but I actually believe it was his performance in John McTiernan's Predator that solidified his status as a bona fide movie star. Oh, and one more thing. You know, I realize I might have given the impression that I was somehow all alone with that stack of VHS tapes. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. 80s action movies were definitely a communal event, whether it was over a case of beers with some college friends or hanging with the gang at my apartment in Walnut Creek. Nobody watched an Arnold movie by themselves. And that's why John and I wanted to share our Predator experience with all of you. That's right. This Friday, April 16th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, the Predator is going live on our YouTube channel where we can't wait to share this classic 80s action movie with all of you. Come ready with questions and comments because Super Chats and Streamlabs will be open for business. So if you haven't seen this movie, you've got some prep to do before Friday at cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Predator along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And if you happen to support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, right now you could be listening to me interview 
Not John Roca, the outlaw, Schmodown legend, or co-host on The Cinephiles, but John Roca, the geek buddy, whose brilliant breakdowns of the latest geek TV have become staples on my podcast feed. We even get into a discussion of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So that's Behind the Scenes of the Geek Buddies on Patreon, and this Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, the Cinephiles' second ever live stream on John McTiernan's Predator. Can't wait to see you then. Welcome, everybody, to this brand new live episode of The Cinephiles. This is something that we're going to be doing every month, one episode a month, just going live, talking about whatever movie that maybe doesn't quite qualify for the full Cinephiles treatment, but a film that we know you all love. I am one of your co-hosts. Here I am, the outlaw, John Roca, joined as always by my brother over there. Hello, I am Steve Morris. And, and what... At what moment did you realize that we were brothers? Was it during the <laughs> cinephiles? Was it? Well, I, you know, I, I, I like to, uh, you know, if you're a friend, I call you a brother. That's how it works in my life. Uh, so, you know, and I've lost brothers and I've picked up brothers. So it's a big family. It's a big family for sure. It truly is. <laughs> uh, and Steve, uh, we're, we're very excited. So many people in the chat already joining us. Sterling Jones, Justin Toner, A. Leva, uh, Philip Hunt, Matthew Gramlich, uh, and uh, so many cool. And Sterling Jones again. Yeah. Just thank you all so much for joining us here live. As we said, this is something we're going to try to do every month an episode of the cinephiles live and we'll talk about a, a, either a subject or a film that's related to that subject every month and it's a way for us to be more interactive with you all uh, uh and uh, you know we love growing the brand of the cinephiles and we thought this is another way to kind of add a new wrinkle to what we do on the show so we're going to be talking today about 1987's predator directed by john mctiernan uh, mctiernan starring arnold schwarzenegger carl weathers Bill Duke, Jesse the Body Ventura, Sonny Ladham, and a number and a few other people here uh, in this film. And of course, Shane Black as well, uh, young Shane Black in this film, talking about inappropriate uh, things throughout the whole movie before <laughs> he dies. But uh, we're going to get into all of this. And we also want to hear from you all. Send in your Streamlabs, send in your Super Chats. I have both open. Steve also has patreon questions so some of you patrons who are patrons of the cinephiles you've sent in questions about that you want us to answer so we're going to do all of that today so the Streamlabs address it is in the description of this video it's also pinned to the chat so send it through there or if you want to send a super chat we'll bring you on screen and maybe if there's time at the end maybe we'll put the link out for the patrons and then come in live and ask us questions so steve predator 1987 yes. i get to turn this around on you whenever i get to host the show live here what's your first experience with predator and what was your experience this time with predator can, can i say one quick thing first? yeah sure please you know what you know what occurred to me as we we're talking about why we're doing these live streams yeah. you know what another reason that to do these live streams is and it, this is the perfect movie for it sure. is that sometimes it's going to be more fun is that yes. I think for this movie with the, you know, with all our cinephile supporters out there, it's going to be way more fun to talk about it with all of you, Yeah, you know, yeah. because it's that kind of film. So in answer to your question, I saw a uh, predator in the movie theater. I was a huge Arnold fan from, from pumping iron. We've mm -hmm. already talked about him on our episodes on Conan and Terminator one and Terminator two. Yeah. So Terminator, I was, had watched over and over again at this point, I had seen raw deal at commando many, many times, <laughs> probably far more times than, 
their worth. And so when this came out, it was, of course, we're going to go to see it in the movie theater. And it's one of those, like, I had no idea it was going to be a really, really good movie. It's so exceeded expectations for me. Mm-hmm. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Listen, the first time we went to see it, I mean, this is this is John Roca in his prime. Teenage years prime. He has this kind of thing inside of him that loves to see these action films, these badass action films dudes in muscles with muscles you know all of this the rambo stuff the predator stuff lethal weapon i mean the 80s were just a treasure trove of great action movies that you can go back and enjoy still to this day and the nostalgia of them still holds up when you watch them uh, and they're connected to a certain time in your life if you were a kid or a teenager in the 80s i think these action films were really a huge staple of your existence and maybe a staple of your friendships at that time because you all probably went to go see them together uh, or they're a staple of the conversations you would have on Monday morning. Did you go? Did you go? Did you get to go see? Did your parents take you? All of that. And you get to talk about the film and enjoy them. And I wouldn't be surprised if I had numerous discussions about Predator for sure, uh, Steve. This is at that time. I think I'm a senior in high school or just about to be a senior in high school when this movie came out. And I was a massive Schwarzenegger fan. Same thing, Pump and Iron, but also Conan uh, uh, and a couple other films beforehand. And this is the one, watching it this time for our show, this is the one where you really see him come into his own as a superstar. And it's like he's really in his prime here. He goes on for the next four or five years is really prime Schwarzenegger time kind of culminating with true lies. And of course, still around has still a, a, a influence in our worlds and in our lives. But this is really, as far as his movie career, this is prime Schwarzenegger uh, for sure. What was your experience revisiting the film for this uh, episode? I literally have exactly the same thing in my notes about Arnold. I hmm. think that this movie, I think this is the movie that makes him a star. Yeah. It, like a, of a different kind, because I think Conan and Terminator, he's kind of, you know, a, an oddity. You know what I mean? Yes. And then yes. and then there's Raw Deal and Commando. And I think if Predator doesn't happen, he continues to make raw deal and commando. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of cheap, kind of dumb action movies, Mm -hmm. but because predator is so good. And I actually think this is the first movie where he's acting in in a way, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. being the Terminator, it's not that being the Terminator wasn't acting and he's amazing in it, but he's like a character. He's like a person in a movie in a way that rather than he's Arnold, you know, Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's yeah. a great point, Steve. You look at there are certain moments here where he's showing empathy, where he's as much as of a badass as much as a badass he is, there's real connection with like when he sees the general for the first time and there's you can tell there's an actual relationship that he is bringing to that moment when he's like been a long time general. And then, you know, it is it a little awkward with him and Carl Weathers? Yes. But that kind of develops as the film goes along. You can tell that all these other badass actors and also badass people who are established in their own careers. Sonny Lanham had been in 48 Hours. Certainly, uh, 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 Jesse the Body had done his thing uh, as a professional wrestler. Bill Duke was going to go on to become a great director and film and uh, actor as well. So, But all of them, you can tell, they are openly and willingly being in service to Schwarzenegger as the major of these guys, as in charge of these guys. And that's the natural charisma that comes through with Schwarzenegger in this movie. Steve, you're absolutely right. 
He is acting in this movie. He commands the screen, and he's very believable in what could easily be a throwaway role, just painting by numbers. He brings more life to this character of Dutch than you think uh, might be there. Well, and I think part of it is bringing in a great director like John McTiernan. I mean, this yeah. is his first studio film, and nobody knew that this guy was going to, you know, after this, make arguably the seminal action film of the 80s mm -hmm. with Die Hard. And he said an interesting thing that I, I was thinking about a lot, which is he says that the reason that he cast Carl Weathers mm -hmm. is he wanted someone to help teach Arnold how to act. <laughs> and, and, and and what he was saying was that he needed to find someone who was genuinely a good actor. And Carl Weathers is a good actor. Yeah, yeah. And is big and physical and powerful so that he could earn Arnold's respect. Like right. it had to be someone that Arnold saw to some degree as a peer and that he could act off. And, I, and, and, and honestly, this whole ensemble is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a great bunch of people. You mentioned you mentioned as you know we mentioned earlier uh, Carl Weathers, but you've got uh, Elpidia Carillo playing Anna. She's actually damn good in this movie. Yeah. One of the one of the only characters to come back into Predator Two uh, with an interrogation scene, and she is kind of in the fandom. She is considered uh, someone that people like. They've made dolls of her. If there's figures of Anna sure. that you can buy. Pretty incredible, and of course, she's been working consistently since this movie. She's recently been in the Mayans uh, uh, show that is the spinoff of uh, Sons of Anarchy. Bill Duke, as we said, Jesse Ventura, Sonny Latham, Richard Chavez as Poncho. He does a great job as Poncho. Shane Black as Hawkins, and of course, R.G. Armstrong, the legendary R.G. Armstrong as General Phillips. So a good cast for sure. Uh, and But John McTiernan kind of showing or giving us a preview of what's to come for him as a director. Steve, you make an excellent point. He goes on to do Die Hard the next year, Hunt for Red October 1990, then Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Thomas Crown Affair, The 13th Warrior, Rollerball, and Basic. And then he just kind of stops for a while. And he's apparently got something in pre-production, but... Not a bad career for a guy uh, who, who you know starts off with a film like this, and this is produced by Joel Silver. Uh, so a number of A-list people behind this thing, even though, in my opinion, it's still a B-movie, it might have come closer to me accepting that it might be an A-list movie by the time I was done watching it this time, Steve, and I did not expect that. Well, this is this is big news, people. This this B list. What are you, are you saying that it's now like a a, a B plus? Is I'd it say a, a B minus? plus list movie, kind of maybe B plus, maybe A minus. They depend. I mean, there's the slow motion, uh, you know, um, slow motion deaths and the falling over, and that kind of bothered me a little bit. So that keeps it from being an A list movie, but uh, but it's certainly closer. Uh, when you watch this, but once they get rid of the, the the Sandinistas or the rebels or whatever those people are that are they're in the movie, the movie really takes off and it becomes a horror slash um, I don't know horror slash uh, thriller that really really works. Uh, I I, I want to address this A movie B movie thing mm. in a moment, but based on what you just said, one of the things that McTiernan does so well, and it's something that he totally does in Die Hard, which is like, and again, I would say this is sort of a screenwriting thing, is that yep. if you're going to have a movie where there's going to be a surprise that terrorists take over the building or something like that, mm -hmm. is that the movie that you're in before the surprise happens has to be a really interesting movie. Right. And so you're in Die Hard totally invested in John McClane and his wife and what are their problems? And she's, you know, this 
taking the other name and she just closed a big deal. And there's right. this guy who's on Coke, who's flirting with her and what's going to happen. That's totally involving. And then we get into the action of the film when Han shows up the right. same, he does the same thing here, which is I'm totally involved in yeah. wh why is Carl Weathers with them? And what is this mission and who was captured and what was Carl? Cause obviously, uh, Carl Weathers, Dylan lied to them to get them mm -hmm. to do this thing. And there's some other plot. And I would, and I was like, that's a good movie. Mm -hmm. And then this completely other thing happens. And I just think that's it. And, and here, so, so we've had this a, a list, B list conversation many times. So <laughs> to, again, define our terms, cause you define it differently than me. This mm -hmm. is your grade for the movie. Yes. Right? My, oh no, no. Yeah. It's um quality grade. Quality grade is what I mean. A list versus B list. That's that's my point, right? Is it an A list movie or a B list movie? And for me, I've always felt it was a B movie masquerading as an A movie because of the material and the approach to it. And John McTiernan wasn't established yet. Schwarzenegger had done Commando and Raw Deal. Those aren't really like ones to write home about overall. But this is maybe they, I think they surprised themselves with how good this movie was and how good it turned out to be. Um, and Alan Silvestri's score helps, who's doing the, who does the Avengers score, Alan Silvestri's score really helps to elevate the movie as well. Totally. It's because it's, for me that when, when someone says a list movie and B list or a movie and B movie, mm. cause I'm the, I like, I'm a history guy is I yeah. go to the old school studio definitions, which is they literally had their slate of a movies, B movies and C movies. Right. And the A movies were gone with the wind and you know, those things. And the B movies were more like, uh, for instance, Casablanca is a B movie because it had a smaller budget and they mm -hmm. would be released in different theaters. And then the scene, you know, so and B movies maybe would have gangster films right. or more action oriented Western. things. Some of the Western. Yeah. Yeah. And then the C movies would be horror movies and sci fi and things that they they just threw out there and were really cheap. Right. They didn't. that. So Touch of Evil, for instance, is a B movie. Mm -hmm. because that's because of where its budget was the fact that they got charlton heston elevates it a little bit but they weren't right. going to put it in the big th it wasn't going to play in radio city music hall you know or or the the chinese theater in la it was going to play in the mm -hmm. smaller theaters right so in that sense i think predator is totally a b movie it wasn't a big budget arnold you know raw deal and commando those are b to c movies mm, in terms yeah. of how much the studio is investing in them and what they think it's going to be yeah. in terms of a grade i totally give predator an a if we're talking yeah. about just grading the quality of the film for what it is you know mm -hmm. it's like i'm not having it compete against schindler's list i'm having it compete <laughs> against 80s action movies and if i were going to put together if if there were some sort of top 10 show where people <laughs> ranked things and i was going to rank 80s action movies without thinking yeah. of, without looking at all of them right now I, there's a damn good chance predator is in my top 10 80s action movies oh, I, it's really good i would a thousand percent agree with you especially after so if, watching steve yeah if it's in your top 10 of a decade then how why does it not get the a well, I think because of some of the things I pointed out, the the whole like, you know, the, the cheesy A-team people blowing up and spinning around, all that kind of stuff really kind of turns me off about the movie. It makes it seem kind of like cheap in its approach. And so that's why I don't give it an A. You don't see that in Lethal Weapon. You don't see that in uh, First Blood Part 2. You don't see that in a number of those 80s films. You see people dying, certainly, and they're blowing stuff up, but you don't see them do the slow motion. Ah! You know, that kind of stuff. That's really cheesy. Uh, I just hate well, that kind of jazz. Hold, hold on. 
Which yeah. gets a better grade, First Blood Part Two or Predator? Oh man, that's a tough question. That's a tough question, but yeah, I, not to me. <laughs> I would say First First Blood Part Two. I would put that over Predator. To be honest with yeah. you, I really would. Yeah, I think First Blood is awesome. Of course, First um, Blood is. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great. Movie, that's an A but, movie in my mind. But yeah, but the sequel is. Uh, and you know, and part of it is like you and I are at this point we're the same age. But in the mm -hmm. mid '80s, the fact that I'm three years older than you, I think, or okay. two and a half, yeah, two, yeah. two years old, yeah. I'm two years older than you. That actually makes makes a difference. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the difference between me in college and you in high school yeah, to go right. see First Blood. That, to me, I was like, yeah, it's just silly violence. <laughs> I don't understand this. That's He's how I spoke when I was in college. Oh, well, good. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cinema. Cinema. Exactly. <laughs> but no, he was. he's freeing POWs and the timing of that when that was actually a real thing sure. that we were talking about in the 80s, I think is very interesting. You could argue Schwarzenegger against these rebels. I mean, the Sandinistas, Nicaragua, this is very topical for what's going on uh, at the time in the 80s as well, Steve, for sure. So, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. Go ahead but what? Oh, I was just going to say topical-ish. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I don't think there's any actual politics or anything <laughs> in this movie. But what, what, when you were watching it this time, you know, we've, we've been doing cinephiles for so long. And like now when I watch movies, even more than ever before, like my analytical mind is always turned on. And and watching that this time, it was so great to take a break from watching some other highfalutin Oscar fair and just remember enjoying movies like this as a teenager. But also as I was watching, I was trying to like look at the symbolism and the meaning. Because sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, this may surprise you, but... These 80s action films sometimes are about more than what you're watching on the screen. And this idea of an unknown attacker, this idea of a thing that you don't see coming, we've never seen before. Remember, 80s is also the time when AIDS comes into our world. AIDS mm. comes into our life. This idea of this unseen thing that can that fades into the back, can kind of can hide in a human's body and be transmitted, and they have no idea how to stop it. They have no idea how to kill it. And I'm watching it in a little, and maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but in my mind, that kind of popped up, this idea of these of this thing that seems human-like, can fade into the, has camouflaged, but can cause destruction. And, you know, the shots of these guys skinned alive with their guts out, this idea of what a disease like that, how it can ravage your body from the inside out. And so I just was like kind of thinking that as I was watching it, not, and not, you know, not trying to give too much credit that they were thinking all that, but I mean, this idea of an unknown thing hunting you down, uh, that you have to find a way to hide your heat signature to defeat it is just very interesting. I, 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 the AIDS thing had never occurred to me. I, my, my gut is, is if we talk to McTiernan and the writers, they probably hadn't occurred to them too. But now that you say it, yes, that is a perfect, it's the unknown killer that we can't see that is striking us at random. Um, and it is very scary. By the way, do you know how Predator came into existence? What the no, origin please. story of is it? Let's talk about it. So, it is Rocky Four, <laughs> and it was a joke. At the end of Rocky Four, someone, what, what a producer, someone said, someone's like, man, I, Rocky's going to have to fight an alien in the next movie, and that was the joke. And someone went Rocky, and then fighting an alien, and that is how they started doing this movie. And the two writers whose names I don't have in front of me, 
they did exactly what you're not supposed to do, which is they snuck onto the back lot and started just sliding their script under the door of people, you know, just, just sneaking it around. And it's like, that doesn't, that never works. It worked. One of the doors was Joel Silver and he, and he read the script and he gave it to Arnold and said, cause they had just done commando together. Right. And he said, what, what do you think of this? And Arnold's like, I want to, I want to make it. And apparently he, he loved like, the dirty dozen and love mm-hmm. the wild bunch. And he's like, I want to be part of some crew going on some big mission. This sounds great. That's where this movie comes from. It's so perfect. Yeah. Jim Thomas and John Thomas are the writer writers right. of this. And Steve, this is so perfect because both of these guys, Schwarzenegger and Stallone are arguably the top action stars in the eighties, right? Going toe to toe throughout that decade, both doing military characters, right? Rambo is more of an introspective, loner uh an introvert uh, an emotional person who is damaged with ptsd from the war dutch right. is this you know cock swinging hardcore big muscly dude <laughs> who loves to take on this thing but to take on any challenge but and i love it earlier in the movie because i've watched this movie forever so some of the things i forgot yeah. But I love that earlier in the movie, when uh, Carl Weathers is confronting him about this with the general and going like, hey, how come you didn't come with us to Libya? But he's like, because we're not assassins. We're a rescue yeah. team. So he has a morality to him. Absolutely. He has an approach to him. He's not a gung-ho soldier in terms of I'll kill anything. He's a gung-ho soldier to pull people out. Rambo, same thing. He has to be talked into going to pull POWs out. This is a different situation, but each of them reflect a better part of the military, even though sometimes they get stereotyped for these roles in a certain way that they're just action. They're just action pieces that they kill a lot of people. There's more going on in the portrayals of both of these characters uh, than people think or give them credit for. I, I totally agree. And what I, you immediately get a sense, A, just from that exchange, we are mm-hmm. not assassins. Right. But but also all the little things you see as you get on the helicopter and go do the drop and all that stuff mm-hmm. is this is a family, you know? Right. Like these guys have been together forever. You can yeah. feel it. And the respect that they have for Arnold. And that's one of the key things is like you could have a bunch of skinny people, you know, who aren't that intimidating. And by contrast, Arnold would look like a giant. But instead, you get a bunch of I mean, I don't know what is the most macho testosterone filled movie, but this is on the list. You know, pretty close. Yeah. and, And by the way, I don't know if you've heard some of the stories about working out for this. No, please tell us. So, so I mean, obviously, all these guys are working out a lot because these are some serious bodies, particularly between Arnold and Jesse Body and uh, right. and Carl Weathers. So Arnold would go, would get up at like five or four and say, "Let's go work out." And you know, Arnold pushes everybody around. I mean, you've seen him in interviews and at that time of his life. And they would like, like the workout was. Let's see here. I wrote some of it down. Um, uh. They'd run for 90 minutes, then they'd lift for two hours, then wow. they'd run for an hour. Like, and, and and what happened is each one's particularly the competition between Jesse and Arnold. Yeah. Like it Jesse started working out another half hour, then Arnold would work out another hour, you know? And at one point, by the way, he um uh he they were measuring their biceps and Arnold and and the person measures Jesse's biceps bicep and says 
oh, wow, your bicep's now bigger than Arnold's. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, oh, yeah. And he's just swaggering around with this um, and then makes a, a, a bet with Arnold to measure their biceps. And Arnold's biceps are three inches bigger than Jesse's because he set him up. He told the guy to tell him <laughs> that my arms are bigger. <laughs> and that's Arnold. That's classic yeah. Arnold always. With the uh, with the pranks and the practical jokes behind the scenes to mess with people, uh, and here's you know. what here's what Carl Weathers did is this is his way of messing with everybody. He didn't work out with any of them. He got up at three in the morning and worked out when everyone was asleep because he wanted everybody to think that he had this body just naturally, just naturally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the world of men. Uh, it is absolutely <laughs> this kind of nonsense. Yo, and you can do that because, I mean, Schwarzenegger, this came out in 87, but and he's 30 years old in 87. But you imagine, obviously, he's probably 29 when he's shooting this film. So he's still in his 20s. Uh, and that's kind of crazy to think about when you see how big he is in this movie, Steve. How how much he looks like a man who's a little bit older than his age in this movie. Uh, Carl Weathers as well, Jesse, but the body as well. So they, all, they convey years in the military beyond um, their actual age by how they portray these characters and how they look as these characters, which really adds weight to what they're doing. You know, you immediately respect and uh, um, appreciate this crew and a little bit fear this crew as well. Uh, and Carl Weathers confronting them and being essentially hazed throughout the movie by them uh, shows you what, what's up. Um, you know what I'd love to do uh, yeah. is just kind of go through some of these characters because they're so yeah, great. Yeah, sure. Let's I mean, I mean, I mean, we've already talked about Arnold. Um, I I love the thing that they set up with Carl Weathers, and and I mm -hmm. think this is a McTiernan choice because originally he's just supposed to be a bad guy, right? And that what what I love that they do with his character and that Carl Weathers plays so great is that we sense there's a con there's there's conflict between yeah. him and Arnold, yeah. but he, in the end, just through his observing what's going on he starts to really feel for these guys and feel responsible because he's the one who put them in this situation right. and then has a heroic death. Like that's a great character arc. Yeah. Agreed. What do you, what do you, what do you think about Carl Weathers in this oh, movie? I love it. And Carl's Carl is someone that people don't give enough respect to. And I love the fact that he kind of is still doing, uh, no, not kind of, he is still doing his thing. And I love that people enjoyed his episode of the Mandalorian that he directed. So not yeah. only is he damn good back in front of the camera, He's just as damn good. Uh, uh, sorry, in front of the camera, but behind the camera. So that is just a great thing to see because he's one of these guys that people look. Oh, Rocky. Oh, uh, Billy Madison. Oh, uh, or I'm sorry, Happy Gilmore rather. Oh, you know, um, other thing, Action Jackson, but and or Predator. But people forget like this guy is. He's a lifer. He has worked for years. He's carved out a life in, in this business. So he is a legitimately established actor. So coming into this, as you said, John McTiernan wanted him to teach Schwarzenegger acting. So you're seeing from the beginning that Carl Weathers is playing this character. They have a relationship. He obviously was one of these uh, grunts with Schwarzenegger. He's become a corporate man, a company man in essence. Uh, so what's that play like? And it's, uh, it is through the progression of the film, as you said, Steve, that he realizes, you know, He's kind of put these guys into this situation and he does feel bad about them, even though he said at the beginning, I got smart. Why don't you get smart about right. the situation? He realizes, no, there's a real human cost. They're not, quote unquote, expendable assets. There's a real human cost 
to the things that he's sending out these guys to do and he's experiencing it now, which changes him. And, you know, in a lesser actor, you don't sense that arc. But with someone like Carl, you really do. You know, one of the things about uh, actors, and I'd like to, love to hear what you think of this, is that mm. for me, you know, the job of an actor is to fake stuff. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. their job is to pretend. Yeah. I don't think, I think in general, actors cannot fake smart. I think that's a really hard thing. Yeah. Like, and you could see from Rocky. I mean, Carl yeah. Weathers' performance, uh, you know, Apollo Creed is brilliant. Yes. And I don't think you can fake that. I think, mm -hmm. and I think, the intelligence you see with him and that's why i think it's actually too bad that they you know action jackson is all they tried to do with him it's like i actually think that guy was a movie star yeah and could have done but you know do it you know at the time an african-american actor they're not going to give him the chance mm -hmm. you know yeah agreed agreed uh what's another character you want to get into uh before we bill maybe... duke oh yeah bill duke yeah mac yeah he is so I don't know how they came up with what this is what this guy is, but every mannerism, every moment, he just makes a meal out of. Yeah. It's just yeah. so good. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, the whole shaving of the, you know, with a Bic razor, all that's such an interesting character. And, you know, dude, just like you said, these guys are all working out or whatever. Uh, they've also got to stand out in a certain way in the movie, right? Jesse's chewing the tobacco. Shane is telling the inappropriate jokes. Uh, Schwarzenegger's lighting the cigar the first time you see him. Uh, and then you see uh, what Bill Duke is doing. He's just sitting in the back. He doesn't need to be in the front area. He's sitting in the back to shave, and that's his ritual to get clean for the fight. And I respect that madly. Well, and he, you know, and he has this strange relationship with Carl Weathers' character, which is interesting right. as the two African-Americans, but there's always yeah. these looks between them and this competition between them and Bill yeah. Duke not trusting, Mac doesn't trust Dylan. You know, right. all that stuff that's going on. By the way, the razor thing, that was Bill Duke's idea. Oh, that's smart. Um, that's yeah. smart, yeah. And you can play with that too, Steve, because you've got, what, a company man? So he sees him as a sellout, maybe not yeah. only just to the military, maybe even to his race. You're selling yourself for the white general, blah, blah, blah. That could be an underlying thing between them for sure. Because when Carl Weathers gives away their position that first time and he threatened Bill Duke, like threatens him straight up. And then later they go together on the mission, uh, the doomed mission uh, to try to get the, the predator. So th that that has an arc, their relationship as well. Can you imagine if someone in 1987, you walk out of this movie and someone comes up to you and says, by the way, Two people in this movie will become governors <laughs> of states. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> um, so, what was your as a, as a wrestling fan? What was oh, your yeah. reaction to seeing Jesse the Body Ventura in this movie? I remember watching it the first time, being like, "Is this guy?" Because I mean, of course, he was a great character. Uh, yeah. or, of course, he's still alive, obviously. But when he was part of the WWE, he was a great character. Jesse the Body was awesome. He always hated Hulk Hogan. And you always felt like there was some real hatred behind the scenes. Like It felt like Jesse was mad that Hulk became what Jesse kind of had laid the groundwork and superstar Billy Graham before him. So Hulk had kind of taken what they had done and really got in, went into the stratosphere. And you always sensed that Jesse didn't 100% feel like he was 
appreciated by Hulk for what he did to lay the groundwork for Hulk to be what he could be. Uh, and so there's there was that thing with him always, right? But he was always a guy who spoke his mind, told his truth. So when he was in this movie, he is so natural here, Steve, that it's a joy to watch him work. It's a joy to watch him be a part of these Schwarzenegger films uh, and these action films. He, he, I've never seen an inauthentic moment from Jesse the Body in anything he's done as an actor. He's not gonna, He's not trying to do Shakespeare, but he's going to give right. you reality in what he's doing. Um, several things about him. One is is that he was an actual Navy SEAL, hmm. um, and so he you know brought a lot of military experience. And I think um, uh, what's the other actor's name? Uh, the one Sonny who's Land Sonny Landon? No, no, not him. The oh. other uh, what's his name? The Latino actor. Yeah. Richard Chavez, Richard Chavez. Yeah, he's yeah. he ser he served in Vietnam, so he also oh, wow. brought wow. yeah a lot in this. Okay. What I, one of the things I think so interesting, and, and Jesse is the perfect example of this, is that Commando is a ridiculous movie, and it 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 knows that it's a ridiculous movie. Yes, this also is ridiculous in many ways, but it's doing it in a in a, in a, such a charming way mm -hmm. that it's able to like. I mean, Jesse Ventura holding the minigun that is that's just oh totally God. ridiculous. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like there's, there's nobody could do this. And right. and, and uh, one of the things McTiernan talked about it on the commentary track is like it's. If you actually fired it, it would fire all its ammunition in six seconds, mm -hmm. and it's and it's a hundred pounds of like batteries to make this yeah. thing work. Like it's like several hundred pounds of stuff. No human could do this, you know. But it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But as a, it doesn't stop them doing it in movies. People right. carrying a fifty cal. You can't carry a fifty cal <laughs> in a theater of war, ladies and gentlemen. That's unrealistic. But it looks badass in a movie like this. That's for sure. Because uh, I guarantee you it wasn't 100 pounds to carry that thing around necessarily. Uh, we, we've got some super chats. Should we read some of these sure. before we get Let's into more of the movie? All right. Paul says uh, here, he says, the co-stars really elevate this movie. Predator wouldn't be great without them. Yeah, I think we both agree with that, Steve. As, uh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, don't forget Total Recall, guys. That is one of the best Arnold movies. So I was... Very disappointed in the Total Recall, mostly because of the end. And okay. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in a really long time. Right. But I think the whole setup of Total Recall is awesome. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's why I kind of I wanted something else at the end. And it gets it gets a little silly at a certain point to me. But th there's so much great stuff in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, I, I would like to revisit it again. It's been a very very long since I've been a long time. Yeah. I've watched it and. It's a little cheesy at times, so I wonder if maybe it's a little bit better now in retrospect watching it again. Justin Toner says, I consider this one of Arnold's best films, period. One of his best acting jobs, great supporting cast, great action and suspense. Yep, I yeah. agree. A thousand percent agree with that statement for sure there, uh, Justin Toner. And thanks for watching this here. Jason Earhart says, wow, Casablanca is a B-movie? Steve dropping knowledge bombs. There you go. <laughs> That's my job. I should put that on my business card. <laughs> it's Steve dropping Morris. knowledge bombs. Dropping knowledge bombs. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Philip Hunt says, The Thing in 1982 and this film are very similar. Very charismatic leads. Iconic moments. Great supporting cast. Which is better for me, The Thing? Yeah, I'd have to agree. The Thing is better than Predator. There's no cheesy slow motion falling out of nest things with people on fire moments uh, and it's it's more alien than it is predator in my opinion what do you think 
I think, yeah, I, I, I would rather watch Predator. I think the thing is a better movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, because oh, the thing, I, I don't, you know, the thing is uncomfortable and difficult, and you know what right. I mean. Like so, I whereas the the Predator is just fun and silly. So, right, right. I, I would rather watch Predator, but I agree. I think the thing is a better movie. Let's see. I got one from Paul here. He says, uh, "Favorite line and scene in Predator, Steve." Ooh, that's tough. Um, well, I think there's several things that need to be honored. You know, okay. the the handshake bicep shot is oh one of the God. most iconic <laughs> things in film. Um, and, 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 you know, and things like I Ain't Got Time to Bleed and all those, yeah. you know, those are all really good. My favorite, one of the most interesting sequences to me is the turnaround oh, with the yeah. scorpion and all of that and, and him pulling the knife. And that's just such a tension-filled moment That's that those two actors really make work really well. What about you? I think there's two for me for different reasons, um, but both very, uh, I don't know what you'd say, alpha male. Um, when, uh, what's Sonny, oh, I forget, I always forget Sonny Ladham's character's name. Oh, Billy. Billy. When Billy stops on the yeah. tree stump on the bridge and you sense this is a Native American situation, that he is yeah. going to fight this thing and it is in his blood from generations, which is why I think the film kind of is a, kind of cheapens the moment by not showing the battle with the predator and giving him his just due, showing what he can do as a warrior. And I wonder why you'd edit out a fight like that. Maybe it's tough to fight on that piece of thing, but uh, that's tree stump. But I, I would have liked to have seen that. And I love when he does ticks everything off, boom, cuts yeah. the cross, and he's ready to go. And then I love the moment with Schwarzenegger right before he's going to take on the Predator when he's lit every, he's got that fire in the dark and he just goes, you know, that kind of unleashing a primal scream of rage and warrior uh, mentality because he's about to go into battle possibly for the last time. So I love those, those two scenes for sure. Totally. I am certain the reason they didn't film that battle is because they couldn't. You know, right, is that, true. I mean, yeah. they had so much trouble. The first, so here's some more trivia is the, the first predator was Jean-Claude Van Damme. He was the actor supposed to be predator. What? And when they brought him to set, cause they're like, and this is pre, this is before anyone really knows about him. Crazy. And they're like, cause he moves so well. And we want someone that can move so well in the suit. Right. And he gets there and I don't know how tall he is, but he is not tall and he's around all these huge guys. And it's like, we can't have a short predator that doesn't work. And the suit that showed up was horrible and they threw it out. And so a lot, they couldn't film a lot of the stuff early in the production with the predator because they didn't have the actor and they didn't have the suit. The guy they got, whose name I don't remember, but he's over seven feet tall. And the suit is designed by Stan Winston, who apparently was on an air. This is what he says, was on an airplane with James Cameron. And James Cameron said, I always liked mandibles and was like sketching stuff. And they were talking about it. And that's what started the idea for what would later become the predator suit. But all the, the predator suit, he weighed a ton. It weighed like a oh, well over a hundred pounds. And this is a really big guy who didn't move that well in the suit. Like one of the things they did to make the suit, to, to make it look cool was there's one scene where you kind of see the predator sort of making these big jumps. Yeah. Um, he's, he's strapped into bungee cords so wow. that he's bouncing 
a little bit, and that's what makes him able to move because this guy couldn't move that much in that suit. It was too heavy. Right, so I'm right. sure that's why they didn't film it. Um, I love the Billy character. I love the fact that he's scared, you right. know, like, and that's what makes it all so much scarier. By the way, apparently, I don't know if I believe this, but for for the actor, they had to hire a bodyguard, not to protect him, but protect other people from him. Wow. <laughs> that's what? what they said, that he was such a brawler and would just so regularly get in drunk and get in fights at bars and stuff. Oh, shit. That they, that they actually had a big, huge dude to protect, oh, to keep him away from hurting people. That's what they said. I don't know if that's true, but that's what was I love said. It. I love that because uh, I remember him and like I said, 48 hours and this, and he was also in lockup. People might remember that Schwarzenegger film lockup. Mm. He was in the warriors as well. Uh, oh so, yeah. Yeah. He certainly had a good career for a few decades. Um, uh, also uh, I would say what's the other, uh, the favorite line. I don't know if I have a favorite line. It's not get to the chopper. That's for sure. Um <laughs> Maybe it's Dylan, you son of a bitch. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that's my favorite line. We'll see. Uh, all right. We have, uh, let's see. Paul, got, Paul goes, what do you guys think of Predator 2? LOL. I, I don't really think of Predator 2 ever. But I was so excited to go see it. I remember <laughs> going to not the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood, but the Dome in uh, Concord, which oh. was kind of the cool local movie theater in, the, in that area. And, you know, did the thing we've talked about many times, like, okay, this could be good. Yeah, I could, maybe it's good. It could still be a good, no. And like halfway through going, this is a terrible movie. I, I only saw it that. That's the only time I ever saw it. I don't think I've ever seen it since. It's not a good movie. And I think that's the, they tried to secure Schwarzenegger to come back uh, with the Latin, with the actress who plays Anna uh uh el pedia carillo el pedia carillo they tried to secure them coming back to have like a debriefing scene and that's what they would watch in the mm. truck to understand what they were facing uh in the movie in predator 2 but they couldn't secure schwarzenegger coming back and why would i mean schwarzenegger at this point is, is massive and they probably yeah. had to pay like a lot of money just to have him do one or two scenes so why would you do that for sure? Um, all right. And a couple of Streamlabs real quick uh, here, Steve, from uh, Jason Earhart. He says, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Predator is such a great action movie. The scene in the helicopter with Long Tall Sally got me so hyped as a little kid. Such a great 80s movie. Uh, yeah, Steve, do you like the... Thank you. Do you like the... Yeah, definitely thank you. Do you like the blaring of the... Of the totally, song? and I think... What you know, this movie owes a lot to Alien and it owes a lot mm. to Aliens. Like, and I think that sequence is such an Aliens kind of sequence of yeah. getting to know the characters really fun. Well, and then bringing the completely bizarre rendition of Long Tall Sally from Bill Duke at the end of the film or you know, right. before his death. And right. by the way, that whole sequence of, of his death and Carl Weathers' death is great, yeah, it's really, agreed. really well done. What's um, great about because you buy into the fact that these guys are going to give this predator a hell of a fight, and it's over in seconds, man. It's over in seconds, and it's the yeah. predator who really gets the jump on both of them. It does not default to a cliche uh, situation throughout most of the movie until the end, and you got to give it some respect for that for sure. Um, anything more you want to add to that, or should we ask a couple more of these, bro? No, let's do a couple more. Okay, Ethan Murphy says, do you see Predator as a slasher movie where the horny teens are archetypical, archetypical 80s action heroes? 
I think that is a brilliant, brilliant metaphor. Yes. Well done. Good job. Absolutely. They're scantily clad. Yeah. Uh, and they are. They get taken out one by one. One by one. Uh, there's all shocks and surprise. There's penetration. So yeah, <laughs> it's all there. It's all there. So, Ethan, bravo to you for that observation, for sure. Uh, Brennan is here. Brennan, thank you. He goes, I saw this film for the first time last year, and it was awesome. Also, I love the Bad Batch team in Star Wars, the Clone Wars, because yeah. they remind me of the guys from Predator. That's a great point. Certainly not totally. a mistake, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lineage between the Dirty Dozen, Predator, mm. and you know, Clone Wars, and... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, totally those are all connected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Certainly the lead of uh, the Bad Batch, uh, that uh, bandana he wears is an homage mm. to both Rocky and to Billy in this movie. So that's an, um, the look of him, too, is more Native American uh, than Rocky. So certainly Billy probably influencing the look of that character for sure. Uh, let's see. And thanks, Brennan. Appreciate it. And Ethan Murphy sent us one more thing. Do you see Predator? As a, oh, he sent it again. Sorry, Ethan, you sent it again. So we already read it. Thank you very much. And then Fillmore Pockets just donated or just sent a couple of a few bucks for a super chat, which we appreciate. Thank you, Fillmore. Uh, Thank all you right. so much. Where would you like to go next, Steve? Well, we got some questions from Patreon. If you support oh. uh, the Cinephiles on Patreon, uh, frequently we'll, we'll let, A, we'll let you know what movie we're doing early, mm -hmm. and B, give you the opportunity to ask some questions. So here's our first one comes from Sterling Jones, and he says, oh, wait, no, first one comes from Benji Black. What is it about Predator that has made it so hard to make a sequel or a reboot of it? I think because the first one is so damn good. Anything you do afterwards is going to be compared to it, and most people fall short trying to create anything that comes close to it. I mean, Shane Black went back to the well and directed his version of Predator uh, a few years ago, and it was horrible. He didn't understand. I mean, the guy who was in the movie, uh, and iconically in the movie, does didn't understand what made Predator so great, uh, and instead trying to create a super predator and like people just forget. Yes. Do we want different things? Sure. But we also want a damn good movie. So if you're going to default to the basic construct of the movie, you can still do that. You just have to find new and inventive ways that are interesting and fun to see this chase go down. Uh, and I thought predators was the closest they came to a good movie in mm -hmm. this uh, franchise after the first one. What about you, Steve? What do you think, Steve? Um, I think, well, uh, we also have a question from Sterling Jones that relates. So he, he yeah. said, going off Benji Black's good question, could Predator have a successful sequel? If it does, do they, whoever they are, need to start from scratch? So I think the reason that Predator doesn't have good sequels is that Hollywood is stupid and they mm -hmm. make bad choices. Okay. I mean, the, there's this is absolutely perfect material to do other movies from. Because there's so there's we, there's so little that's trapping you. All we know is there's this alien species that likes to hunt people, you know. And it's like we could create good characters and create a good situation that has that. It's like I think it's it's what you said too. It's trying to duplicate what we had before, mm -hmm. you know, and do it again. That's where you get into problems. And then you know, I think studios messing with. I mean, I don't know that this is true, but the, all of those Predator movies feel like studios messing with stories yeah. that could have been good. 
Yeah. Like there, there, for me, there's no reason that you can't do a good predator film. Yeah. It's a good opinion. point. It's a good yeah. point. Certainly. Uh, for sure. Uh, all right. Do we more? Sure. Uh, this is from Matthew Gramlich. And okay. he says, uh, I love this movie in spite of its male chauvinism. Um, it's an interesting thing of whether or not this is a male chauvinist movie. Oh, it's manly, okay. but I don't know sure. if it's chauvinist. Um, so naturally, my question is, who would win in a fight between Carl Weathers and Jesse Ventura? In all seriousness, the, the okay, so first of all, let's just address that. Okay, uh, Jesse Ventura would win. Yes. Um, the guy's a no Navy question. SEAL. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know much way more about wrestling than me, but <laughs> those are there are fighting skills in there, you sure, know. Sure, sure, sure. Uh and you know, Carl Weathers wasn't trained to be a fighter uh in real life. You know what I'm saying? He's a boxer for the Rocky movies, and of course, in this film, he hardly gets any fi real fight yeah. scene uh without a weapon. Uh and when he does, he's killed almost immediately. So uh, yeah, it, I would think yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesse would win. Yeah. yeah, he was. I think Carl was an athlete. I think he played like college football or something. But oh, sure. But yeah, sure. yeah. Um, but then his question goes on. He says, in all seriousness, seriousness, the question the movie raises for me is about technology. If mm -hmm. we accept that the human body is, in its own way, a tool for accomplishing certain tasks, then the soldiers in this story are exemplary tools. The best humanity has to offer. The predator has superior technological advantage. Mm -hmm. It's a long question. Sorry. We can assume it is also the best of its species it has to offer. So when Arnold defeats the superior opponent using rudimentary technology, what is that supposed to make us feel? Mm -hmm. Is it simply an underdog story or is there a deeper question being posed? Is is the film a commentary on emerging technologies and the role of humanity in this new landscape? If so, what does the predator represent? What is the emotional nature of humanity's victory in this story? Where do we fit in the potentially limitless potential of technology in a natural world? Also, if you guys had to cast one of the characters, had to be cast as one of the characters, who would you be looking forward to this episode? <laughs> There's a lot in that question. <laughs> yes, there is. Yes, there is. Uh, care to tackle any of it, Steve, first? Um, I think the idea of this being about technology is really interesting. I also think, I think that's sort of a classic movie thing is we're going to go back to basics. That's how we're going to win, you yeah. know, like the, the, and sort of the putting together the traps and all that stuff. Like you think it, of jaws when they're, you know, they're going to put the cage down in the water. We're, we're going to end up at mono imano because it's the most interesting. One thing that McTiernan said, so there's the giant contact, you know, everybody firing all of their weapons, including the minigun into the jungle and hitting nothing. Yeah. So the McTiernan said an interesting th thing about this that relates to this, which is that the studio kept telling him, we got all these guns. We got to use all the guns. People like to see people firing guns. Guns are awesome. Guns are cool. And McTiernan didn't want to do that. And what he said is that the, the way that he ended up doing it is that he said, I gave the studio what they thought they wanted by giving them exactly the opposite of what they were saying. Because his point in that particular scene is that you have all these guns, and this is what his word was, they are essentially impotent because mm -hmm. they hit nothing. You know, yeah. is that it's actually what, it, instead of showing how awesome all these guns are, it's showing how completely ineffectual all this technology is, which I think re relates to Matthew's question. Yeah. It's a great point. And also, Steve, when you look at this film, as the um, story goes along, right, the Americans or, you know, I, I imagine the Americans are the people who have the better technology yeah. and the better knowledge going in to attack these rebels, right? 
they're the ones who have the better technology. The rebels are the ones who have a little more rudimentary technology, and they're easily wiped out, except for uh, Anna. Um, and then the Americans have to confront they're they're now the rebels uh, in comparison to the Predator, who has their technology and whatever. And remember, Schwarzenegger stumbles on the advantage. It's right. not he didn't think of it. He didn't like process it and troubleshoot it and figure it out. He stumbled upon it only because he, you know, came out of the water into mud, and his heat signature was hidden by what uh, the uh, by what the predator, so the predator couldn't see him. So those things are stumble, and I think it just says that at the end of the day, you can have all the tools in the world. What matters is who is using the tools. That's always the difference between success and failure. Everyone has the possibilities. Or if they get an opportunity for these possibilities, it's the people who take advantage of these possibilities and can figure out a situation are the ones who succeed all the time. We see it all the time. Underdogs win because underdogs come in, are more focused, are less, feel the pressure less, and they have the same tools as the people that are supposedly favored to beat them. They just have a little more focus in, in administering it and a better game plan in the situation. So that's all. I, well, I, I don't know if it's technology versus I think it's more about who you are. I, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, the predator also, he when he takes off his helmet mm. or whatever at the end, he's going, Oh, you want to go you want to go mono e mono or yeah. mono e predator? Let's go. <laughs> you know, and so he's buying into the same sort of primal thing yes. that's right. happened at the end of the movie. Our next question comes from Jeff Cook. He says he has two questions actually. He okay. says, Could you speak generally about the sci-fi trope? in which a crew of competent military scientific professionals encounter alien life well away from civilization. Uh, alien, Star Trek, The Thing, The Abyss. Okay. Do you have thoughts of this trope? I, I didn't know it was a trope. Um, so, uh, but I don't understand the question necessarily. What, what, what is to be said about the trope that uh, scientists are always, always overwhelmed by another species? Um, is that what they're saying? Um, I, I think he's just saying this idea that we go far away and that's where we encounter alien life. I, I, I wouldn't quite call this a trope, I, but okay. I do think, you know, things are scarier when you're away from civilization. That's just, right. you know, if I can call the police and the police come in five minutes, it's not as scary as if right. I'm in the middle of the jungle fighting something and you're, that's just ups the drama for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a part of this also, Steve, is hubris. The hubris of scientists sure. to think that they can navigate a foreign situation with an alien life form or an otherworldly life form, and they can intelligence, or how can I say this? They can science the shit out of it. And right. you can't always science the shit out of it, and it's a little bit of hubris. Like we just saw, uh, I don't know if you saw that news article, I'm sure you did yesterday, how scientists have now created what the first cloned half human half uh, 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 monkey or chimpanzee yeah. embryo. What the fuck are you doing? Like, it's just this kind of thing. But that scientists, because there's still a majority of them are still male. There's still dick measuring contests, even amongst scientists, bro. And that's the frustrating part of it all. It's like, oh, let me just create it because I can't, you know? And it's like, they never learn the lesson. And when that thing gets created and eats them alive inside of a laboratory and gets out, Thank you. Thank you for your hubris and your desire to mess with something that you should be messed with. There's an arrogance sometimes in scientists thinking they have the power of God at their fingertips. 
I think that those disasters, the 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 mad scientist stuff, happens way more in movies than it does in reality. Like, <laughs> I mean, the the bigger ones certainly technology being used by big industry has pollute you know pollution and all those things. That's yeah. that's definitely how science has messed us up. Like, I actually don't think we've had too many examples of. A piece of science, but of course, if that ever does happen and a piece of science does go out of control, we're in deep shit. Yeah. Um, uh, his second question, uh, is a good, I think is a really good question Is the best okay. Arnold overmatched and imperiled Arnold, Conan, Predator, Total Recall, or strong and in charge Arnold, Terminator, Pumping Iron, Commando? What do you think? I think the first one, and I'll tell you 100%. why because, yeah. because, because Arnold, in essence, by coming to this country, became American. And not just by citizenship or anything like that. He came to embody America in that. Uh, and I've said this. Oh, I've said this recently, and I've been saying this over and over again. America is at this is uh, is simultaneously wants to see themselves as the number one country in the world, the number one superpower, and an underdog at the same time. And Schwarzenegger, when he is playing the underdog even though he looks like a guy who shouldn't be outmatched in any situation, it makes us connect with him more, right? Comics always say if you're a good-looking person or for your person in shape, the best way to become a good comic is to be self-deprecating, undercut all of that, make fun of yourself, destroy yourself so the audience feels a relatability to that. The same thing with Schwarzenegger. We shouldn't connect to a guy who is a champion, constantly wins at life, lifts weights, looks fantastic. It's putting him in the underdog situations that make us connect and uh, and uh, in a universal way with what he does on screen. I 100% agree, and that's you know that's the way story structure works. Is mm -hmm. you you need the bad guy to be more powerful than your good guy. Yeah. It, it has to be a desperate situation. If it's not, it's not interesting. And it's funny the three examples of the not underdog. They are two that are really exceptions, and there's a third that doesn't really work. So Pumping Iron's a documentary, you right. know, and it's about the most dominant bodybuilder in the world and his personality, who is, and that's what it is, you know. But that's not like we don't have a lot of, we don't have 10 Arnold documentaries where he struts around. That would mean that right. interesting. Right. Terminator, he's the bad guy, you know. Um, and so he's he's the one who has to totally overmatch the good guys. That's his right. job, which he does. Terminator 2, he is overmatched because mm -hmm. T-1000 is way more powerful. And Commando, I know people love Commando, including some good friends of mine. That is exactly what's wrong with that movie, is yes. Arnold is too powerful and nobody can actually stand against him, and that's not a good movie. I agree. You know? And I love that Predator keeps the non-sequiturs to one. Yeah, he throws a knife and he says, "Stick around." And thank God, McTiernan cut. There are probably ten more, and I'm, I hope I hope to God McTiernan cut them all out because it really takes away from the movie, you know. And you can see once again, you see the totally. progression, you know. Yeah. Um, I have more Patreon questions, but yeah. do you want to switch and do some Streamlabs or super chats? Oh or? yeah, we just got a couple more that have come in here. Uh, uh, Paul says this is bittersweet. No more Arnold movies. Hmm. He still Did occasionally he works, right, Steve? Does he mean Arnold's not going to make movies or are there no more Arnold movies to do on the cinephiles? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's still, I there's, think some Arnold movies to do on the cinephiles. Yeah. I mean, the dude's in his seventies, like, you know, he's, he, he's done his work. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he just did what? Um, he just did Terminator Dark Fate. 
He's mm -hmm. also the voice in Predator Hunting Grounds, a video game that came out last year. He plays Dutch again. He's got uh, a superhero kindergarten coming up, uh, a Skydance project, Kung Fury 2, Triplets, The Legend of Conan, and Outrider. So we're not done with Schwarzenegger yeah. films for sure. He's got a while to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, go ahead. Derek Nunes says, awesome show, fellas. Keep dropping Predator knowledge bombs on us. Well, thank you very much, Derek. Thank you, Derek. Um, let's see if I got any Streamlabs that have come through. No, no Streamlabs. Ladies and gentlemen, send in if you got questions. We'll probably be on for another half an hour. So if you want to send questions uh, or any thoughts or comments about it, you want us to read on the screen, send it through the Streamlabs. The address is pinned in the chat. It's in the description. Uh, and eventually we'll get a graphic where you'll see it on the screen in case you need that as well. So, um, Steve, where would you like to go to next on this discussion? Well, I got more. I got more Patreon questions. This one is from, you know, he told me how to say his name a while ago. Okay. And I don't, I'm not probably still not going to get it right. But Jono uh, Schaefer Cotter. Okay. Um, asks, uh, who's always been a great supporter of the cinephiles, why do you think some gear shift movies work better than others? Do you think Predator's genre shift works so well because the hint at the opening with the spacecraft crashing and maybe Dust Till Dawn isn't as well received because it doesn't offer any hint to the audience? Thanks for all the hard work. Love hearing you two discuss movies. Please never stop. That's a great question, Steve. Um, teasing the sci-fi movie at the beginning, then turning it into a regular, you know, uh, rescue mission, shoot 'em up type ground-based uh, action film, and then boom, we're going right back into the sci-fi aspect of it all, and in essence, becoming a horror film. Uh, yeah, the tease actually makes sense, and I think that's you. And God forbid us questioning uh, Quentin Tarantino, but certainly the the the. Oh, I'm sorry, Robert Rodriguez. Certainly the uh, the tease well, of both the of them. Yeah. Right, that's right. Certainly the teasing of the vampires at the beginning would have maybe been more effective for the overall um, construction of the movie. Well, Dust Till Dawn is a, is a real uh, edge case because mm. that movie is – and I've heard something about that this is, in fact, the truth – is that Quentin Tarantino wrote half a script that he never finished and Robert Rodriguez wanted to make a vampire movie and so they just put them together. And the reason – that movie doesn't work is it's like, it's not just a shift change. It's like mm -hmm. two completely different movies, right. you know, and, and you have all these story threads of the creepy Quentin Tarantino character and, and his brother and they're, you know, hijacked this RV and Harvey Keitel and the relationship with the dog. And then we just throw all that out and do a vampire yeah. story halfway through it's it, that doesn't work at all. I think, with I don't think the tease necessarily is that necessary for me because you know what movie you went to see. You saw the trailer, you saw the commercial, yeah. you saw the poster. You know there's going to be some crazy alien that we're going to have to fight. Um, I think, and the thing too is the story threads in terms of the relationship with Dylan, the friendship with, you know, that those things that exist, they're all carried through the whole film, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Those don't shift, and it's a good movie. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, the true. biggest key. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. Watching it this time around, is there anything that stood out to you that you didn't like? You know, we've been praising the film and talking how much we enjoyed it, but we got to be fair as well. Is there anything that you didn't like this time around, anything you'd love them to cut out or would have changed if you were making this movie or on the set with McTiernan? That's a great question. I think I wish there was a little 
more with some of the supporting characters. I, I wish they had more to flesh them out a little bit more. I think that's the thing that I would like because I like all the characters so much and they do a lot with very little space, mm -hmm. but I would have liked more Jesse and Mac and their relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would have liked, I would have liked to develop the Carl Weathers Arnold uh, conflict more. I think mm -hmm. there was more that could have been done there, but what about you? That's a great uh, uh, point to bring up both of them. Yeah, because we Bill Duke has that kind of touching moment with Jesse the Ventura's Jesse the Body Ventura's body, uh, and uh, there you know has the drink and puts the flask down with him and says you know rest easy brother or rest in peace brother. So certainly there was you know and he he wants to catch the predator because that was his friend that the predator killed. So there's more here. They've been on more missions. There, but so maybe there was time for that classic scene in action movies where you talk about old adventures over a beer by the campfire or whatever, or have separate scenes where you discuss that. And I agree with you a little more with Carl Weathers and a little more, so we can see even more concretely the arc yeah. of Carl Weathers' character throughout the movie. Um, I think Anna gets a lot of surprisingly good moments for someone who's thrown in about 45 minutes into the movie. And I think she has some really good moments uh, as well, but I would like to have seen a little more with her and Schwarzenegger. Yeah, me too. too. As yeah. they, when they, when we find out they're the last two left alive throughout this whole sequence. Cause I love this, that uh, Dutch tells her don't pick up a gun. That's such a great, great surprising yeah. element to this movie don't pick up a gun because then he'll kill you he doesn't see you as sport if you don't carry a gun you know a weapon i think i think a i would have loved to see more with her i love the moment you know that she obviously does speak english but is pretending that she doesn't speak english right and when she does finally start speaking i also really really like that there isn't even a hint of romance in this film yes Th that, that would be such a, a cliche to fall into yeah. And they don't do it, which is great. Um, well, and, and real quick, Steve. Also, what speaks volumes to these actors is they don't, uh, as Justin Toner puts out po uh, points out here in the chat, they don't turn into caricatures. So the limited screen time they do have, they're able to fill these characters with life to make them feel realistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jono has another question. He says, "I also feel." that McTiernan masterfully embraces and satirizes the action genre. He lures you in with fun, dumb action, but then flips, elevates when he transforms the strongest heroes into teenage camp counselors in a slasher movie. Hey, same, <laughs> same metaphor. Uh, do you feel like that's one of the winning formulas in screenwriting? Lure people in with simple, easily understood genre fun. Then once the audience is settled, have a second act shift into something more complicated, deep. It's a concept you've mentioned before on the podcast. Sorry for the long questions. Thanks for, again for everything. Is, the, is, is that a truth, uh, Steve? Do you think that McTiernan was doing that? I think... I think there is an awareness of the goofiness of the movie that is definitely embraced, okay. you know, with, with the minigun, some of the over top stuff. Yeah, I, I do think so. Okay. I wonder if he's doing that because okay, he hasn't, he doesn't satirize in any of his other movies. Like there's no satirizing in, in Die Hard. There's no satirizing in Hunt for Red October. There's no satirizing in some of his other movies that I last would action, last action hero. Well, that's a full on, that's a full yeah. on obvious one. Right. So I don't know if, if I would agree that he's satirizing, I think he's just making no, it. A I, don't think he's, I don't think he, I don't think he's yeah. satirizing it. I, that's okay. totally not what it's not a satire. Yeah. It's, 
he's aware of the silliness. You know, he is, he is fully embracing. He's completely stepping into the over-the-topness. You know, the minigun and I ain't got time to bleed and all these, you know, these are bigger than life mm -hmm. characters. He is uh, jumping in. You know what you know? he's maybe doing is, and I think this is maybe an element to to what they're saying, and I think I agree with this, is he is, uh, in essence, undercutting this idea of overt male masculinity, of toxic masculinity. And certainly his films carry that because... Bruce Willis is not someone in this in that movie that you expect to be an action hero. You know, right. he's he's a cop, but he's not like, you know, uh, some kind of special forces trained cop who's dropped into this building to save you. No, same thing with Hunt for Red October. Alec Baldwin is someone you would easily overlook, and he's constantly overmatched, but he seems to figure it out and puts himself in these situations to become a hero. So not your standard heroes throughout. Even Banderas and 13th Warrior is an underdog of a hero who kind of, uh, subverts the uh, the male masculine totally. approach to war. So maybe that's what he's more highlighting or underpinning, not necessarily action movies overall, just the idea of masculinity overall is what he's undercutting in these movies. Well, and it's what we said before of like, he creates situations where people are overmatched. Yes. You know, that's yeah. what makes, that's what, I mean, obviously that is what is diehard's greatness and why the sequels can never match it. It's right. because once 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 John McClane shows he can fight 20 terrorists, then he doesn't seem as overmatched anymore. Right, right. You know, um, by the way, this is the idea of using a certain genre to then shift it or twist it is totally a thing that I love. It is a thing that I've done in multiple screenplays that I've written, mm. um, including The Assistance, which is totally the um, caper genre that hopefully tries to become more dramatic as it goes along and doesn't give as easy answers. My favorite screenplay, which I've never gotten produced, the whole concept is you think it's one kind of an action movie, like a post-apocalyptic action movie, and then at the end of the first act, you find out that everything you thought about the world is wrong. Hmm. But that's not yeah. what's going on at all. Right. Um, so yeah. I love that kind of film. Okay. Do we have uh, more questions from the patrons? We've got some. Sure. Okay. Go uh, here, I'll do one more, and then maybe we'll switch over. Yep, yep, sounds good. Uh, okay, uh, this is from uh, Brennan Marr, great supporter of the show. He writes, I was thinking of approaching this from the angle of George Lucas's career, including Star Wars, in the era of New Hollywood. If you could bring your expertise and knowledge... Oh, wait, no, this is a this is a cinephile short topic. This is oh, not oh. a Predator topic. Okay. But, but it's a good question, Brennan, about uh, the new wave of Hollywood, and we'll get to it in an upcoming cinephile short. <laughs> Sorry about that. Absolutely, Brennan. Um um, and someone else had asked about the fact that, um, cause I don't have that question in front of me for some reason, but someone else had asked about the fact that this is in the news right now because the writers of predator are suing Disney over the yes. rights to predator. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Steve? Have you looked at, this? I think that they should get their damn rights back. And this is a, to me, a perfect example of a big, big, huge, powerful corporation, uh, you know, being mean to the little guy to me. Wow. Yeah, Jim and John Thomas suing Disney for the movie rights. Um, but so Disney, I didn't know Disney. Oh, because of Fox. Is that why? It was Fox. And their um, contract was that the rights would revert to them in 2017 or something. Oh. And Disney is saying, no, no, you have the right to that screenplay. We have the right to the character. That's what I think they're saying. And it's like, look, I, I okay, Disney, you want to keep maintain the rights to this. Uh, I intellectual property. Okay. 
give them a bunch of money. Give them, you know, it's like, don't, you know, like this is, this is this great thing that they created 30 years ago. Right. You know, they, they deserve something. Give them some, give, yeah, it, it, it bugs me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Uh, any more questions or should we jump into the Streamlabs Super Chats? Uh, let's jump into Streamlabs. Okay. Oh, real quick. Billy's, there was rumors for years of a death scene with Billy, a deleted death scene from Predator, but it appears to be a myth. However, you can find his death in the novelization, Paul Monette's novelization of Predator. Um, the hunter, uh, the Predator swiftly dispatches him by, quote, slicing through the Indian's jugular and then zigzagging down his chest and belly like a mockery of some tribal blessing. Wow. Wow. Mm. That would have been powerful to see on screen for sure. Uh, all right. See here. Uh, Alan, uh, Alex, sorry, Alex Ainsworth says, what was your reactions when you saw the alien skull on the Predator ship for the first time in Predator 2 and realized the possibilities? Well, I loved that. Apparently, <laughs> by the way, they wanted to show the interior of the Predator ship in this movie mm. and McTiernan refused because he thought it would be cheesy. Um, I love that idea about the alien. And at the time that Predator 2 came out, I'm pretty sure it was when I was working in a comic book store. And so ah. that's also when like the alien versus Predator comics were coming out. And, you know, I thought it was awesome. What about you? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, when I saw it, uh, it was such a bad movie that when I saw it, I was like, uh, okay, so they're connected. Like it just didn't carry weight because it's a terrible movie. So the moment died for me uh, because the movie was bad. So that's all yeah, I can tell totally. you. Uh, but AVP, when it came out as a comic book, was awesome. Uh, yeah. So, and that was great. And then I think the first one of those is the only watchable one uh, of those series of AVP movies. Um, so, but it's nice to know they're still in the same universe. And at some point, maybe down the road, someone will create a damn good uh, a crossover between those two. All right, we've got a few streaming labs here, Steve. We can, Steve, we can roll through here. Justin T. Says, 1977 says, Hi, guys. You brought up why I love this movie. Arnold doesn't beat the Predator with his strength or guns. He has to outsmart him. He lays traps, uses the night, the jungle. When they go one-on-one, he gets his ass kicked and only wins via the tree trap. Yeah, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, what do you think about well, that? I think that intelligence is almost always the best way to end action sequences is that, mm -hmm. you know, it, you get to story and this is the one place this isn't true is in the good Rocky movies Yeah, is that Rocky is all about him just uh, having the will to continue. And right. so he doesn't come up with any cool, smart thing to do, but in general, you want your characters to do something cool and smart. You know, mm -hmm. that's, you know, and, and sometimes in martial arts or action movies, it's it's the technique that we see them do, the way they fight, or but you know, in general, it's that we could go right back to the climax of Jaws, is mm -hmm. that he gets the tank in the mouth and he shoots it and says, Smile, you son of a bitch, and blows up the shark. Mm -hmm. That is cool and smart. And I think that, you know, uh tying yourself up to the fire hose and jumping off the side of the building, that is an amazing idea and a dramatic way to end a film so yeah 100 percent agree absolutely uh drunken prayer says good to see you drunken prayer he says steve commando is awesome that is all okay i guess i'll <laughs> ask a question uh do you think predator 2 predator 2 is unfairly maligned it's not as good as the first one but i still think it's a fun action movie with some great set pieces i, I, I can't agree with that but uh, steve what do you think 
I, I think we've already talked about this, but I literally don't think I've seen it in, you know, 30 years. So hmm. I, I, you know, if I saw it again, I could offer an opinion, but I really, I can't remember it. You know, okay. I don't maybe know. that'll be a separate tier. We have to watch those old <laughs> movies again. Uh, all right. Uh, one last one here and it's incredible donation. Thank you very much, Matthew Gramlich. How very kind of you. He says, this is great guys. Really fun to contribute to the conversation. Super enjoyable to hear other listeners thoughts and questions and how that molds the conversation this format is sweet. Yeah, well, that's why we're I, doing it, I think. I, I'm loving doing this. It's so much fun. It's it's. I love handing over the reins to you and letting you run the show. I love not having to edit. I love, you know, <laughs> and, and just like, you know, having more of a conversation rather than the, you know, the cinephiles is really structured. And so, mm -hmm. and getting to interact with all, all of you out there is just, it's great. I have yep. a ball. It's a lot of fun to do it for sure. And it's in my wheelhouse. This is what I do with my eyes closed. So it's great. D Duval 59 says, uh, when I first saw Predator 2 H7 on HBO, I was scared of the dark for two weeks. I think it's one of the best monster designs of all time. And I think Stan Winston deserves credit for saving the movie from that awful first design. Do you think the first design is awful? I don't. I, you know what? I don't know what it looks like. Do you? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, from the movie. I just no, saw no, the movie it's... No, he means that the one they threw out. That, oh, that there was, that no. That's when know. they had Jean-Claude Van Damme, and then they Ooh. had this terrible suit, and they brought Stan Winston in to redesign. Okay. Uh, um, let me see if we can find it. Now I kind of want to find it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, with the, I found it. <laughs> is it terrible? Uh, it's not nearly as cool as the one that we ended up with. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Oh. Um yikes all right let me see if i can see if I, can. I think i can do this uh let's see here where is it is it on there we go all right there you go uh ladies and gentlemen that's what it, oh, i don't want to go to the website uh that's what it looks like right there that looks um ee. is that the one you saw or is that a different yeah one? no that's yeah. what i saw that's uh, that looks like something out of the fly from 1986. Uh, that seems weird to me. And by the way, seeing Predator at age seven, oof, I, I understand why you're scared of the dark. Um, I would be too, yeah. I think the design's phenomenal. I don't think, I mean, nothing can quite beat the Giger designs of Alien, but oh, yeah, I think the Predator design is a great, interesting, iconic look, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Gaslight Troubadour says, Predator 2 is better than all that little horse shit they keep releasing lately. All right. Well, I think you can make a case for that. Uh, what else have we got, Steve? Anything else on your side uh, of things? Any other Patreon uh, questions? Nope. That's that's all the okay. Patreon questions we have. Okay. Um, but definitely, if you, if you join Patreon, you can submit your own questions and you can see how detailed and thoughtful some of our patrons are. Those are fantastic questions and there's lots of fun stuff going on over there. So, yeah. Patreon.com slash, yeah. Oh, that's right there. Right above the head, for sure. But if you're listening to us on the podcast, it's patreon.com slash the cinephiles uh, for you to go sign up. Justin Toner says, uh, Kevin Peter Hall replaced JCBD uh, as the Predator. Uh, talk about things working out. Van Damme in the suit would have created a different movie, I think. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. But certainly also would have created maybe a different feeling about Van Damme. You know, uh, not many people who play these characters or these people in suits get to transfer over and become leads of series of movies and action stars that's a really really rare thing uh in the re in the in the world of hollywood so maybe it worked out for him better that people didn't see him as a guy who was in the suit 
in the in the uh, predator suit overall. Well, so, yeah. and the thing is, is to getting a guy who moves great mm -hmm. and putting them in a big heavy suit is a misguided idea because right. he's not going to be able to move that great. Plus, yeah. plus the other thing about it, and, and maybe this relates to the Jaws thing, because they had they didn't know how they they were going to do the the heat vision. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't know how they were going to do the predator effect. They had to figure all the things. They actually, by the way, they actually tried to shoot with um, uh, night goggles uh, in the jungle that would Ooh. sense heat, and it totally didn't work because it was ninety degrees out, and so mm -hmm. the jungle was ninety degrees, and so there wasn't a lot of color difference between the humans <laughs> and the jungle, so it didn't work. Um, and what they ended up doing was that's a negative of the film that they then super color corrected in all these weird ways, and it works great. But they didn't know how they were going to do any of that, and right. so you would have ended up with some really crappy predator fight scene stuff when what is making it work is not seeing the predator very much. That's what mm. makes it work. Right. You know? Kind of like Jaws, not seeing the exactly. predator very much for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, they shot this thing in Mexico, Steve. And uh, the, from what I'm seeing here, both McTiernan and Schwarzenegger lost 25 pounds on the film. Yep. Uh, Schwarzenegger on purpose. McTiernan because he didn't want to eat any of the Mexican food there for fear of what it would do to his body. Apparently, a number of the crew got traveler's diarrhea down in Mexico because yep. of the water and all this stuff. This is before this was kind of really well known as a thing not to do, uh, for sure. So, you know, you, you pay the price uh, for the things you choose to do in life. You got to be aware of it, for sure. Um, what did you feel about Alan Silvestri's score as we wrap up here over the next eight minutes? Thoughts overall on like what he was able to compose and create, uh, and does it really kind of give the film uh, extra life uh, when you hear his score throughout pulsating throughout the movie? I think it's great. I think it's a really good score. I think it has a great sense of adventure for the adventurous parts, creepy for the creepiest parts, and then they kind of sampled. It's it sounds like like uh, Copeland fanfare for the common man mm. is what you know. There's for the uh, the sad stuff for when. You know, Bill Duke is saying goodbye to Jesse Ventura. There's like that great sort of oh, trumpet yeah. military sounding thing that right. totally is Copeland-ish. Like, I think yeah. I think this score is great. What What about you? Yeah, I love the score. You know, I'm, I've been studying for the slowdown with these matches this year, and one of the things that I'm not the best at is uh, is scores and soundtracks. So I've been doing it more and more. So I'm more aware of scores in movies and then memorizing them in my mind and i thought uh you know i thought this was fantastic to hear it uh and at this time it, with predator he'd really uh, of note he'd done romancing the stone back to the future um and then not really much of that are good movies that you could and then boom predator happens frame roger rabbit is the next year the abyss is a year after that and then it just kind of takes off from there for him as a composer uh to where he's composing avengers movies so it's certainly this is an an integral movie or a, a huge movie in alan silvestri's resume and kind of launches him into a whole nother echelon as well as a composer totally 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 agree yeah yeah uh all right any last things we want to touch on steve before we wrap up here this um uh, review and analysis and breakdown and conversation on Predator. The I mean, the hour and a half seems to have flown by, brother. I, uh, for me, I think, you know, it's funny because I put it on the when I recorded the preview for this is that mm -hmm. this movie so represents an era for me of getting together with the guys in a stack of VHS tapes. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, this is just, oh, well, you want to put in Predator again? Oh, you want to watch, you know, Escape from New York again? Oh, we're going to watch Raw Deal? Great. You know, whatever it was. 
and of course later Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. that was just an amazing time of not having that many responsibilities <laughs> and have and hanging out with your you know twenty year old guy friends and watching stacks of eighties action movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I want to cite some when when uh, the film came out, the film was made for, I think, 15 to 18 million dollars. And it made uh, what? Nine was it? Ninety. Sorry. Ninety eight point three million dollars in 1980s money. So that's a lot of money in 1980s money uh, for sure. Um, some of the critics weren't that positive about it. Elvis Mitchell said it was grisly and dull with a few surprises. Michael Wilmington of the Los Angeles Times said it was arguably one of the emptiest, feeblest, most derivative scripts ever made. Uh, Variety says that it was slightly above average actioner that tries to compensate for a tissue-thin plot with ever more grisly death sequences. But Roger Ebert was positive about the movie and said that it moves at a breakneck pace. It has strong and simple characterizations, terrific special effects, and supplies what it came to what it claims to supply an effective action movie. The Hollywood Reporter called it a well-made old-style assault movie uh, overall. And now, and my friend uh, William Bibiani, when doing a re-review of the movie in 2018, he said that Predator was the most subversive action movie of the 1980s. Predator may be a big macho action movie, but it's also highly critical of the kinds of characters you'd normally find in big macho action movies and the superficial, unquestionably heroic stories they appear in. So interesting mm. stuff to hear uh, from a number of critics. Uh, Steve? The, the negative the negative reviewers to me so fall into the category of judging a movie based on the fact that it's not your taste. Yeah. You know, right. like, like, you know, this is not supposed to be, um, you know, an intellectual film. Like yeah. this isn't my left foot. This isn't Schindler's list. This isn't, you know, this isn't Jules and Jim or, mm-hmm. you know, this is predator for what it, it, how does it do at doing what it is trying to do? Yeah. And in my opinion, it does great. I think that's the approach I always have with film criticism. When I do any reviews, I put it in the box of what was the film trying to do? I don't like to be like some, I, I gave one of the transformer films, I think a seven or eight one time. And my, my fellow people at the outlet, I was at it. were like, why would you do that? Would you? I said for a predator film, I'm sorry for a terminator of a transformers film. It is this level. This is the ranking. I give it overall. I wouldn't give it the ranking that, but for a transformers film, this is the ring, and that's the way I look at movies. What's it trying to do? So I agree with you a thousand percent, Steve. Take it for what it is. Don't try to grade it through the prism of is it a Hitchcock or Orson Welles or Antonio Nini film? It is a fun turn your turn your mind off, have some fun action film. But if you want right. to turn your mind on, you can catch some of the symbolism and subversiveness and what have you that is that McTiernan is doing in this for real uh all right let's see here one last question alex ainsworth wants to know steve what's your favorite mctiernan film that's not predator die hard or red october well that's tough um i don't think because nothing he makes it lives up to these three in my opinion um i like thomas crown affair i liked 13th warrior those ones probably oh really more so you can't decide so not die hard or red october oh oh which one that's not these three films yeah. Ooh, um, it was an easier question before, right? Yeah. I, I thought for sure we were going to battle over that, but I think, let me see. Let me look real quick. I would say the Thomas Crown Affair. That's my yeah. favorite one. That's a sexy, 
sexy good movie. movie man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, we got one more. Sorry. If this original, if this original movie was to be rebooted, how would you like it to be, and who would you cast? Oh, and we never answered who we'd be in the movie, Steve. We should answer. Oh, that. We'll wrap up. Who? Uh, who would be in the movie? I, it's a weird question because I'm like, is it who I would want to be? Is it who? What, whose personality am I most like? Um, I, I probably would be Carl Weathers, I guess. Okay. All right. I'd I, like to think I'd be Dutch, but I think I'd be Sonny Landon. I think I'd be Billy. Okay. I'd like to think I'd be Dutch, but I think I'd be Billy. Yeah, I'd like to think I'd be Dutch, but that's I'm, I'm sort of I don't think I can pull that off. Um, I, I think if I'm leading my Finstock exchange, I would be Dutch. But if I'm with other people, I might be Billy. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, who would you cast in the? Who would you, uh, let's a couple of people. Just throw out a, two or three other people if you. Well, the first the first thing because they kind of said, "How would you like it?" Which I assume like, what kind of movie would you like it to be? Mm. I would like to. Do the this is the ultimate in macho ness. That's what Predator is. Yeah. And so I would like to not do that. Is mm. that I would I would do characters that are more unusual, more quirky, you know, like instead of having the big muscle people, you have the more ninja y people. Mm. You know what I mean? That are and I definitely would have some women in the ensemble. I yeah. definitely would have some people that maybe you wouldn't expect as much. That's my first thought so far. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think it'd be more multicultural. Oh, even though this is pretty multiracial, there's pretty ethnic cast. You would say there's Native American, uh, black uh, people, white people, and Latino. So that's yeah. fine. I think it for what it is, it's pretty progressive for the time. Um, but I think I would add more women for sure to be a part of it, to be a little more of, and I think I'd add a little more intelligence to it in terms of yeah. deciphering things and battle plans and military approach and. I think yeah, I'd lean even harder on the making fun of the macho stuff and then having the macho stuff actually play an important part in winning the battle so that it's in certain places it's necessary, uh, but it's not, it shouldn't be the overt approach to things and the only approach to things. So you, I think in that way, I'd make it a little more nuanced for sure. Yeah. Sorry. You, you know who I'd have is, is the um, uh, seven samurai. What's the uh, name? Takashi, Takashi Shimura is, oh is have the older character who yeah. leads more with intelligence, less macho. That's, that's, that's what I would be thinking about. Well, that's what they want to do with predators, Steve, but Schwarzenegger didn't come back. Didn't want to come back. The Lawrence Fishburne character was essentially supposed to be. Schwarzenegger, oh. And so that would have been really, really interesting to see him as the older guy, like Takashi Shimura telling the younger people, how to yeah. battle these predators for sure. Uh, Gina Carano would be dope in a predator. Well, probably if you can get past some of her politics, I guess so. Um, but um, I don't think that's happening anytime soon, especially for Disney who owns the film. Oh, uh, right, oh I like this. Fillmore says I'd start oh. with the rock Batista, John Cena and Michael B. Jordan. Perfect. Bucket. Wow. Cast Good right casting. Now. That's a great yeah. cast. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get on out of here. Thank you all so much for joining us here on the uh, Cinephiles live stream. We appreciate it madly. Thanks for all the kind donations, the super chats, and the stream labs. They mean so much to us. And we're going to be doing this every month. We never know what film we're going to talk about. Well, Steve and I will discuss it, and then we'll announce it through the social media. Thanks to Luke for all the work he's doing with us promoting this stuff as well. Uh, Steve, where can they find you? And anything we need to say about the Cinephiles, please take it away. 
Uh, well, you can find me at SR Morris. It says right under my name. That's on Twitter, mm-hmm. SR Morris one on Instagram. The Cinephiles, you can follow at Cine underscore files on Twitter. The Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Please subscribe to the show either right here on YouTube or you can leave your comments or on Apple Podcasts where please leave your reviews. We got a bunch of really nice reviews lately and they, every single one of them is appreciated. As you heard many times, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. And this cinephiles live thing it's a new thing and so we'd always like to hear if you have thoughts about movies that you'd like us to do in this format rather than the regular format you're always welcome to suggest them particularly if you support the show on patreon absolutely absolutely uh you can always follow me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram please remember to subscribe to the cinephiles channel as well it is a monetized channel now so the more subscribers we get the more comments the more likes those are important so please hit a like button on this as well and leave a comment down below and share it on all your social media to get more people involved and know that this is a new daily a new monthly show that we're doing for the cinephiles uh here that people can come and interact with us and just hang out and talk about a movie for an hour and a half and hear from you all and answer your questions. All right. Take care of yourself. Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, John, just one more thing because Justin Toner did my job better and reminded me that to say that I have a new podcast on Star Trek, the original series with Scott Mance called enterprise incidents. We are about to release the man trap. I think that's the next episode coming out. Thank you, Justin, for reminding me. (laughs) There you go. All right. We're out of here. Take care of yourselves. Please go get vaccinated. Wear your mask. Practice social distancing. And we'll catch you next time on the Cinephiles Live. Take care. Peace.